The St. Catharines Museum is your destination for adventure this March break. Come for lots of fun and free activities perfect for kids of all ages, all day, every day, during March break. Build a boat out of Lego, travel back in time with dress-up stations, or bring a favorite toy to our museum play date. All programs are open to the public by donation. Visit stcatharinesmuseum.ca for more details. Collecting, researching, and preserving your family history is challenging work. As museum professionals, we get it. What do you do with those old photographs, your mother's silverware, or your wedding gown? How do you record the stories that have been in your family forever before it's too late? The St. Catharines Museum wants to help you with these questions. We're offering four two-hour workshops to help you figure out how to organize and care for the information and materials in your own family collections. The St. Catharines Family History Workshops are presented by St. Catharines Museum staff. Registration is $10 per session, but space is limited. Our next session is Saturday, March 31st, and is all about using archives to find the missing pieces in your family history. Register today by calling the museum at 905-984-8880. Now, on to the museum chat live. a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to Lauren, public programmer at the St. Catharines Museum, and Sarah, public programmer at the St. Catharines Museum. We're recording today's podcast at the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre, which we acknowledge is part of the traditional territory of the Neutrals, Haudenosaunee, and Anishinaabe peoples, and adjacent to the Six Nations of the Grand River. Today, we are dedicating the podcast to International Women's Day. Every year, on March 8th, the world sets aside a moment to celebrate and honour the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements and contributions of women. It is also a moment to reflect on how much work there is still left to do in order to reach full gender parity and equality in our society. Lauren, did you know, according to the World Economic Forum's 2017 Global Gender Gap Report, that gender parity is over 200 years away? What are we even to make of this? I don't know. It's really interesting that you actually say that. I agree. It actually makes me kind of sad because I don't have enough time to wait 200 years. It's so true. <laughs> and even then, like, is it still going to be happening within that 200 years away? Oh, if know. we think about, like, the next couple of generations? It makes me kind of sad. I'm real angry right now. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. I really am. This year, the campaign theme for International Women's Day is Press for Progress. With movements such as Me Too and Time's Up, activism and advocacy for gender parity and equality has never been more at the forefront of global conversation. We must take this momentum and use Press for Progress as a strong call to motivate and unite friends, colleagues, and whole communities to think, act, and be gender inclusive. 
As we rise up to this call, it is important to contextualize this movement locally and reflect on the history of women's advocacy and activism in St. Catharines. Looking into our past, we can trace the history of women's organizations advocating for progress and creating real change in our community. One of those incredibly important organizations is the YWCA, whose roots in St. Catharines extends back to 1928. We will share a conversation that I had with current president of the YWC Niagara Region's Board of Directors, Jennifer Bonato, a little later on. For last year's International Women's Day, we got together with a great group of female community leaders to bring attention to the gendered pay gap. We recorded a reading of a paper written by famed St. Catherine suffragist and activist Lillian Phelps. She wrote about women as wage earners in 1890. In her essay, Phelps makes the urgent call to establish equal work opportunities, equal pay, and a voice for women. This was written in 1890, and yet a lot of those messages still resonate today. We'll definitely list a link to this podcast in our blog. Women share such a strong tradition of working together to support one another. By the 19th century, women began to organize more formally in St. Catharines through churches and charities. The women who belonged to these groups were primarily affluent white women who donated time and money to supporting needy women and children. The Women's Literacy Club of St. Catharines was founded in 1892. This was a social club, again, primarily restricted to affluent white women, where club members met to read and study literature together. The club was also quite active in preserving local heritage. Most significantly, though, the Women's Literacy Club were involved in some of the city's earliest forms of social activism. They organized teas, garden parties, and lectures to advocate for critical social causes at the time, including providing food and shelter to the less fortunate. Such activism primarily drew out of women's traditional roles in the domestic fears as this was all they had access to. Women's contributions were also instrumental to the home front efforts of the First World War. Local women's organizations like the Red Cross, the Women's Institute, the Imperial Order Daughters of the Empire, or the IODE, churches and temperance societies all came together to organize relief funds for distressed countries and to gather and donate large drives of clothing, comforts, and food rations to soldiers. Women also took the call to fill the vacant positions in factories, banks, stores, offices, and farms left by men fighting overseas. For the first time, women had an active role in the public sphere. There is even record of a female constable being appointed to the St. Catharines Police Force, Miss Maynard. Though she had to provide her own street clothes, she was allowed to carry a billy stick. How cool. In rising up these calls, St. Catharines women were pressing for progress. The active role women played during the First World War directly contributed to women achieving the right to vote in federal elections in 1918. This vote was primarily restricted to white women, but real change was still affected by women's actions. This rings true today with the Press for Progress campaign. We must build each other up and stand beside our sisters as we actively work towards a more inclusive community. We want to now highlight an organization in St. Catharines that has been advocating for and raising up the women in our community for 90 years, the YWCA Niagara Region.
YWCA Niagara Region, located in downtown St. Catharines, provides shelter, food, and assistance to women and families in poverty. The YW is strongly committed to social change and works endlessly through all sorts of programs and events to create a community that supports women in need and to provide support through each step towards financial stability and independent living. This year, 2018, also marks the 90th anniversary of the YWCA here in St. Catharines, an incredible milestone. The YW has an incredible legacy of working towards real change in the lives of women across Niagara. So to celebrate International Women's Day and the YW's 90th anniversary, I reached out to the president of the YWCA Niagara Board of Directors, Jennifer Bonato. Okay, welcome Jennifer. We're so excited to have you here today. Uh, so I wanted to get into our conversation by just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved with the YW. Yes, so hello, thank you uh, for having me here today. Um, I love to tell the story about how I became involved with the YW because I think there's a little bit of a lesson in it. and. So I actually interviewed for a part-time summer position in 2013 um, to support some of the public relations coordinators' work. And uh, the interview went very well. I got along great with those who interviewed me. But um, when it came time to make the decision, they ended up choosing someone else who had more experience than me at that time. This was, for me, just after finishing my bachelor's degree in sociology, prior to beginning a graduate certificate in public relations where I would have gained those skills. And so it just was not maybe the right time. And following that, uh, later that summer, I volunteered at No Fixed Address, which was being held at the Penn Center. And following that, later on in the winter, I volunteered at a skating event that the YW held at the Rink on the Brink um, in Niagara Falls. And so that was sort of my introduction to my involvement with the YW. Wow. Later on that summer, I had been working at the Niagara Region at a, as a student, um, a summer student position. And one of uh, the women from the YW had reached out to me and said, our board is currently recruiting and this might be of interest to you. Um, and so sent me an application to apply to join the board of directors, wow. which I filled out, I submitted. And uh, that September, I began my graduate degree, uh, my master's in critical sociology, and my application to join the board of directors was approved by the board, and I joined um, in November 2014. Wow. Yes. So um, I like to tell that story because I think that it is a little bit of a lesson on timing, mm -hmm. and also that I had wanted to become involved in the organization just based on my knowledge of their work in our community. Mm -hmm. The way that the YW supports women and girls in mm -hmm. Niagara is something that I'm really passionate about. And so I wanted to become involved in the organization in some way, shape, or form. And I thought at first that that may have been through employment. It wasn't. And so it's it was through volunteerism. Wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And it seems just from what you say that the YW has so many opportunities for volunteering and they do so many events like No Fixed Address mm -hmm. and stuff. So um, that leads to my next question. Uh, the themes of the 2018 International Women's Day campaign um, is about 
action and doing things like volunteering and trying to make a difference. Uh, so I was hoping that we could uh, continue our conversation by chatting about how the YWCA is working towards gender parity and equality in our community. Mm-hmm. So there are so many ways, I think, that the YW supports and um, works toward gender parity and equality. First, I have to, of course, mention the support that we offer to women and their families and their children in times of crisis. So we are the number one provider of emergency shelter, as well as transitional housing and affordable housing in Niagara. And so while that may not seem super concrete in terms of affecting gender parity and equality, what it does is it supports women in our community who are experiencing trauma, who are experiencing crisis, and lifts them up um, hopefully so that they can come out of that and mm-hmm. rejoin the community um, and, and be self-sufficient and live happy, fulfilling, um, empowered lives. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, there is some work that we do um, to sort of advocate for gender parity and equality. So one of those things is that um, we as an organization, and in particular our executive director, Elizabeth Zimmerman, Um, has been very supportive of different community groups and grassroots groups who have been sort of asking questions about women's involvement and engagement in local and municipal politics. Um, And so this is, you know, uh, work that is done on the ground by those who have been involved in politics or those who have been involved in the community for many years and so who have this sort of expertise Um, and understanding of the barriers to women's participation. And so in identifying barriers, at that point then we can start to put into practice some solutions or move toward solutions to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that we do to work toward gender parity and equality, I would say, uh, revolves around some of the programming that we do. So we offer um, in-school programming for youth, girls and boys, Um, in high schools across the region and we also have an annual event called the power of being a girl conference and this is an event that um, uh, sort of came down from the national organization um, and is run by many YWs across the country it's a day-long conference that happens every year where girls between the ages of about 14 or 16 from all high schools across Niagara are identified by um, individuals at that school, teachers, counselors, who think, you know, maybe these girls need some additional support, maybe there are some risks associated with their past experiences, and so we have this event every year that aims to bring the girls together and focus on um, different themes. So sometimes uh, we've taught about healthy relationships and what those look like. you know, violence that young women can face, dating violence, uh, supporting one another. Uh, We do some art-based exercises. This past year, the girls who came to Power of Being a Girl all made a zine, and they also took part in sort of writing and sharing some poetry together. They got to hear a keynote um, speech, sorry, from Ashley Collingbull, who is former Mrs. Universe Mm -hmm. um, actress, activist, Uh, Canadian Wonder Woman Mm -hmm. uh, came and spoke to the girls and was very well received so um, that really I think helps to lift up young girls young women and you know teenage years 
are difficult for youth and so navigating those comes with challenges and so we mm-hmm. help to support that transition and we also have the Niagara Leadership Summit for Women mm-hmm. um, which has now been ongoing for four years mm-hmm. and is an incredible celebratory event that we hold every year at Brock University and invite women leaders from across the region to come gather Um, and redefine and sort of ask questions around women's leadership. So Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a leader? Does that necessarily mean that you have to have, you know, a high-level professional title? You know, why is it that that's how we have come to identify leaders? And look at all of the work that women are already doing and leading in their communities and their families. Mm -hmm. Um, So really the, the foundation of that event is to celebrate and connect and learn and share um, around women's leadership in mm-hmm. the region. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that that event in itself does do its part in sort of working toward gender parity and equality just based on the connections it allows um, mm-hmm. attendees to mm-hmm. make. And this past year, we had a really great panel and conversation around women's engagement in municipal politics. Mm -hmm. And so from that, that sort of generated a conversation or strengthened the already existing conversation in the community about how we can move toward having more women participate in, you know, regional council um, or local politics. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that's... uh, that's our work in in uh, working toward gender parity and equality. Wow, you guys are doing so many amazing things in our mm-hmm. community. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I will say that I did uh, uh, attend the summit, and that just ha- it happened in October, the leadership summit. Um, and I I came away from that feeling so like I, what I liked about that is that I felt like I had like people behind me like okay I can I can do something maybe I could you know join politics maybe I could do something that before I didn't think I could because Mm -hmm. there's a community around me that's supporting women and I thought that was so important and when we're talking about you know pressing for progress which is the theme for International Women's Day just having a network of women saying you know what we we can you know kind of rise up together and do this together I think that's really really important so that's incredible the work that you guys are doing yeah I think the other thing about the leadership summit that I think is great is that we invite allies to join us Mm -hmm. and so it's not just um, a summit where you have to be a woman to attend what it's meant to do is to celebrate women's leadership but everyone is asked to attend to join and to perhaps hear and listen in on conversations that they've never heard before. Yes. Um, that maybe their social circle has never um, granted them. And so I think when we are working toward gender parity and equality, it's not always about the work that women can do because women have been doing this work, but it's also about, um, you know, getting others and allies to lend their voices to the cause of gender parity and equality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, so this year is actually a super exciting year for the YW. Yes. Uh, we are celebrating your 90th anniversary this year. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> 90 years. It's, uh, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could uh, talk what you think maybe the legacy of the YWCA in Niagara has been. That is such a broad question to answer just because um, there is so much work that the YW has done over the last 90 years. I think that um, 
largely the legacy that we lead are the thousands of women who have been helped and supported through our work. And this is with um, help accessing employment or help acquiring employment, help with housing, help finding housing, somewhere to stay in the middle of a crisis, um, counseling services, you know, working with the women uh, who are our clients to figure out what is the next step, what makes the most sense, and what sort of supports can we offer them as individuals. Um, and the youth camps and clubs that we've done mm-hmm. have been um, incredible legacies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we were founded in 1927, incorporated in 1928, um, and it's interesting to me to see the number of women that were involved in our founding. So. Um, Our founder, Kate Leonard, who um, she and her husband were prominent members of the community at that time, um, was instrumental in this process. But at the sort of initial meeting to discuss the founding of the YW, um, about 300 women were there in the room. And this is in 1927. 300 women, Um, wow. And that's just so incredible when you think of the sheer numbers of women who were looking to do this work or to support others in their community in 1927. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not even every Canadian woman could vote in 1927 to give some context and mm-hmm. then to envision 300 women coming together in a room to say, this is something that we want to invest our money in, our mm-hmm. time in. This is something that can help to build and support our community. So, um, the beginning of the YW was done sort of also alongside the YMCA. And so our first building that we had was on Queen Street, and it was a shared building between the YW and the YM. And that lasted until um, the late 70s, or early 80s, when we sort of finally split. Um, but in terms of our history and our legacy, there are also some other important pieces that I have to mention. Um, The YW's work during the war effort Mm -hmm. was significant. And so one of the jobs that we had been assigned by the government to assist with the war effort was the rooms registry service. So what we had to do was to locate, um, go out, find, look, inspect um, rooms for servicemen coming to stay in the area for a while, um, as well as for young women who were coming into the area to fill the factory roles that wow. the men who had gone off to war had left, mm-hmm. um, as well as finding space for sort of family reunification. Um, so some space for husbands and wives to connect, um, for families to come and, and spend some time together on a, on a little bit of a break wow. um, during that time. So it's really incredible to see that we have grown out of, you know, a a few hundred local women who dared to say, Mm -hmm. let's do something to support other local women, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to supporting the war effort, Mm -hmm. um, to then expanding, going out on our own. There were, there was a time in our history when we had sort of fitness facilities, um, and programming Mm -hmm. as part of sort of Mm -hmm. the body piece of mind, body, spirit, which was, uh, sort of the three pillars or the three cornerstones of YWCA's foundation. So speaking about all that, um, how has the YW changed and then evolved to meet the needs of women over the years then? So it's been incredible to see 
some of the programs that we have provided in the past, um, how they've changed over time, what they've become, and some of the sort of new work that we're doing today. So I had just mentioned our work during the war effort. Mm -hmm. um, And so that was a community need and not necessarily the need of just women. So a sort of side note that I think is important to to be aware of is that the YW, though our mission um, and mandate are around supporting girls, women, and their families, in order to have a strengthened community, we understand that we need to support boys and men in our community as well. And so that doesn't make up the focus of our work, but a lot of our work um, is done in mind um, through or, or with supporting boys and men as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so from war efforts to providing supports for employment, so um, programming to allow women to come and work on resumes, get some assistance, interview help, help setting up interviews and that sort of thing, um, and housing. So we provide an incredible amount of housing in the current day, right? The number one um, providers in the region of emergency shelter, um, transitional and affordable housing. And so we've responded to the community needs with respect to housing, definitely. And mm-hmm. when we have, um, you know, we see the effects of recessions um, on the ground. Elizabeth, our executive director, just mentioned this sort of expression the other day that I think is really important, um, is that we are sort of the canary in the coal mine. So mm-hmm. when things start happening, uh, when we have economic downturns, we see those um, at our door, mm-hmm. right? Like we see the impact of that on our doorsteps. Mm-hmm. And so we really have um, a keen understanding of community issues in order to be able to adapt. And so from providing housing, providing fitness um, facilities, and uh, in the current day, we also actually provide um, shelter for men. So we have a men's shelter in Niagara Falls, wow. as well as housing for um, single parent male led families or men mm-hmm. with children. Um, I think part of also how we've changed and how we've been responsive is that we have redefined the work um, of the organization or more so the values of the organization. So we are proudly a feminist organization. We have to look back on our history and acknowledge um, sort of the racial disparity in um, some of the founders of our organization, Mm -hmm. those who have been involved in the organization historically, Um, There is not significant representation of persons of color, and so we have to acknowledge that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, those founders um, who were instrumental in getting our organization started would not have been um, maybe those whose values we may have agreed with in the current day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being a feminist organization means that we have to acknowledge that um, and that we need to have an intersectional lens in terms of how we operate, understanding Mm -hmm. the needs of indigenous women in our community, understanding the needs of women of color, of newcomers, um, as well as of um, white women who make up a lot of our client base as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So our approach to... um, dealing with clients or assisting clients, providing space for clients is um, we operate from a model of harm reduction. And that means that whereas in the history of the organization, there might have existed curfews, for example, where if you were living um, at the shelter, you may have had to be back by a certain time, right? We don't operate by that framework anymore because we understand that 
um, the employment that some of our clients hold may require them to be out late at night. Um, you know, from past frameworks where we may have uh, required full sobriety of our clients, that is not something that we ask in the current day. And so we take the approach that we want to minimize harm. Mm -hmm. So not allowing someone to come into shelter because they may be under the influence does not minimize the harm that that right. person experiences and it doesn't minimize sort of the harm or the risk for the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to adapt to those sort of changing social values is something sure. that um, we have done and that we continue to do. And there's also the fact that we are a client-based, client-centered organization. So that mm-hmm. means that our advocates are in constant communication with our clients about how to adapt to meet their needs or, or what their needs are, or what supports we can offer. And we make sure that, um, you know, the solution to the issues that clients are facing are not ever one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be able to adapt and support um, the various places that these individuals or that these families may be coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think that speaks to why the YW has been able to have such a long legacy is because of, you know, your values to be adaptable, to be responsive, and to always be changing to meet the needs of the community that you serve, you know, and I think that's why you've had such a great 90 years and that's why I think you're going to have another great 90 years or more, right? I think it's because of that real commitment to your community and how can you best serve them and acknowledging that that can change over time. Yeah. And we also, um, you know, we say that we would love to not have to provide housing because there would be like, there was no need for housing wouldn't it be incredible Mm -hmm. if our organization didn't have to provide housing Mm -hmm. um, and could you know reinvest our energy into lifting up girls and women um, and providing other sorts of programming and so we we envision a future without homelessness Mm -hmm. um, without uh, you know these these sorts of issues that um, women often encounter in our community, um, precarious employment, those sorts of things. So we do our best to sort of hold that um, as our as our end goal in this work. And sure. it would be really incredible if 90 years from now we were just a great historical organization that helped mm-hmm. to um, create some instrumental programming in the community for sure um but if that's not the case then we will continue um Mm -hmm. supporting and and doing any work that is needed to support Mm -hmm. the community so what gaps in gender parity do you think are especially prevalent here in niagara it's a great question and i have consulted the uh, center for policy alternatives to have some insight to be able to answer that question Um, St. Catharines and Niagara ranks 16th out of 25 um, in terms of the best and worst places to be a woman in Canada in 2017. So out of the 25 biggest, bigger cities, um, we're number 16. And so that is, you know, we've moved up from um, every couple of years ago I think that we were 19th we're now 16th which has made some progress but um, we continue to see gaps in the representation of women in elected politics so in terms of access to leadership positions 
women make up only 21% of those holding elected office in the region. So out of 10 municipalities in Niagara, only two have women mayors. And outside of politics, in terms of management positions across Niagara, women hold 35% of management positions. So there is a gap, Mm -hmm. a significant gap, in terms of women's access to leadership positions and women's representation in politics. The other place where we know that there is a significant gender disparity is in economic security. And Mm -hmm. so we know that there is a wage gap. Um, Mm -hmm. You and I were just chatting before we got started that the World Economic Forum forecasted 200 years years, to wait until our our wages are at par with the wages of a man. Um, And you and I both do not have time to wait for that. Absolutely not. Um, We will be long gone at that time. So in um, this report from the Center of Policy Alternatives um, from 2017 says that annually women bring home $8,000 less per year than men in Niagara. In Niagara. That being said, the wages for men and women in Niagara are both below average. Okay. So that's a challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a poverty issue. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do see the gendered lens, right? So um, in spite of lower than average employment and wages, the poverty rates for men are lower than average in St. Catharines while the poverty rates for women are still in line with those in the rest of the country. And so what that means is that of all the cities measured, of the 25 cities measured in this report, the biggest gap between, the biggest poverty gap between men and women is in St. Catharines and Niagara. More women than men in Niagara will experience poverty, but that's true across Canada. We are higher than the average. So we have work to do. Absolutely. And so, speaking to that then, how do you think St. Catharines can do better? Well, I think that the start is representation across political landscapes. We cannot be making um, decisions for 100% of the population with only 50% of the population in mind. So the United Nations has a goal that there will be 30% uh, participation of women at all political levels. That is their ultimate goal Mm -hmm. and so we are still well below that here Mm -hmm. in Niagara so what the city could do um, to improve that I think it would be addressing sort of the barriers to women's participation in local government things like flexible meeting times Mm -hmm. so for any um, engaged citizen who is aware of the meeting start and end times for um, local local council meetings as well as regional council meetings they are really long Mm -hmm. they go very late into the evening and we know that that's a barrier for women because Mm -hmm. child care often falls on the shoulders of women often as in Mm -hmm. um so even providing child care supports during council meetings or financial support in order to arrange child care separately would be huge and would just be such a lift in terms of that barrier to women's access absolutely things like transportation to mm-hmm. council meetings, so mm-hmm. strengthening our regional transit system, mm-hmm. our intermunicipal transit system, mm-hmm. um, would help to allow those without access to a car to be able to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are sort of a couple of other smaller steps, right? Just adopting smaller gender parity targets for 
municipal committees and advisory councils. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that can be done. Adopting parental leave policy that would prevent candidates from losing their seats yes. um, if they were pregnant or if they needed to take parental or um, uh, maternity or uh, paternal leave. Mentorship programs, so supporting other women. And this is something that can be done by women. It can be done by allies as well. So making efforts to to open an ear to uh, maybe a young woman who is interested mm-hmm. in getting involved but doesn't know how to. And then, of course, uh, addressing workplace health and safety policies. So preventing uh, sexual harassment mm-hmm. or harassment, sexism through education and through training is also something that is small but mm-hmm. could really have a significant impact in terms of the workplace cultures and attitudes that prevent women from uh, breaking through that glass ceiling. Yeah, definitely there's a lot that we can do better and that we can act and it doesn't always have to be these groundbreaking Mm -hmm. changes Um, but even something, yeah, like a mentorship program, like increasing transit opportunities for people to attend council meetings or that's something that would make such a big difference and allow women to participate more and enable women, I guess, to participate more in those kinds of things, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, we also see that um, societies that have greater equity um, are happier. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, strengthening transit systems and having family-friendly um, workplaces and councils is something that is not only going to help and support women, but mm-hmm. it's going to help to, and support men or dads. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, attitudes around whether or not um, dads should be able to access leave. Like, mm-hmm. these are mm-hmm. gender equity problems, um, mm-hmm. gender equity issues that uh, when we remove those barriers to women's participation, we are actually removing barriers um, to others' participation as well and mm-hmm. removing sort of attitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or changing those social values that mm-hmm. sort of keep women out. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point to bring up. Um, when we do changes like that, really, the whole community benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, just going back to the transit issue, um, everyone would benefit from it, from more transit, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a really good point, too. It's not um, when you raise up one part of our community, really the whole community benefits from that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, so my... Last question for you today. Uh, uh, The call for this year's International Women's Day campaign is Press for Progress, or hashtag Press for Progress. Uh, So I wanted to end our conversation uh, by asking you, what would you say to our listeners to Press for Progress? Um, I think that there's so much that listeners can do, whether you are... um, a woman or a man or a non-gender binary individual, the the solution to progress is not in any one person's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a quote from Gloria Steinem, who uh, is, of course, a world-famous activist, very wise person, who says, the story of women's struggle for equality belongs to no single feminist nor to any one organization but to the collective efforts of all who care about human rights and I think that that is exactly it it's not one person it's not one feminist movement that can allow change it is collective action Um, and in the case of these sort of hashtag campaigns we've seen collective action with respect to Black Lives Matter Me Too Mm -hmm. Time's Up, 
um, you know, the last few years have we've seen people who are pressing for progress mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they're taking to the streets mm -hmm. they are making witty signs that go viral um, <laughs> but if the signs were not to go viral I mean they're they're out there they're marching yes. they're advocating they're educating mm -hmm. um, I think for me as a sociologist I can't look at the current situation and just think oh that's the way it is because it's that's how it's always been that's mm -hmm. how it is we need to look at the underlying factors of why things are the way that they are so we need to take into account historical analysis we need to look at the way that social attitudes have and continue to change and shift over time um, you know we need to confront our history in order to move forward and so often that means having really uncomfortable conversations um, you know if any of those hashtag uh, sort of campaigns or movements that I had just mentioned show us anything it's that we need to have this conversation and it's a challenge mm -hmm. um, I think that we are in a current uh, climate that is very polarized and so in cases where you start to talk about change or progress people some people's initial reaction is just close up mm -hmm. no I disagree mm -hmm. I'm not open to it and so I think that enforcing ourselves to become comfortable with discomfort um, which is a quote that I am borrowing from Wanda Bernard Thomas um, we have to have them and so this means you know maybe you're sitting around Thanksgiving dinner with your family mm -hmm. um, and using the opportunity of a disagreement to educate we need to continue that advocate within our own social circles um, we can't make any change if we just close off from one another mm -hmm. and so we need to continue that messaging that you know, as Martin Luther King Jr. told us, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And whatever affects one directly affects all of us indirectly. Mm -hmm. So we need to really understand that in making progress um, toward gender parity, that also means making progress toward racial parity um, and looking into, you know, our history, being aware of and... Um, continuing to monitor sort of the inquiry into the murdered, murdered and missing Indigenous women across mm -hmm. Canada. Um, it often means holding press to account because we know that the media has such a strong role in shaping social attitudes and in shaping opinions that when we see racist reporting um, like that, which was recently um, done with the murder of Tina Fontaine, mm -hmm. we need to call that out mm -hmm. and we need to demand that they do better. Mm -hmm. um, because again, we can't get anywhere if we are sitting in a, a cloud of anger and mm -hmm. disagreement and just sort of closing the doors on one another. Mm -hmm. Um, although I understand that sometimes it feels like that's what we may want to do, but we have to push through that discomfort mm -hmm. and, you know, in the midst of disagreements, use those as educational opportunities, um, hold your politicians accountable. And so for those in Niagara who are looking for, um, actionable steps they can support those grassroots groups who are working to um, 
ensure that there are more women on the ballot for the upcoming elections. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you can support them financially. Maybe you can support them by getting the word out about the work that they're doing. Um, maybe you can attend a meeting just to sort of see what it's all about. Um, I think be open to uh, community involvement and engagement is another really positive thing that we can do. Um, it's challenging in a globalized world to not become focused on the many problems that are currently happening, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there are wars, we have child marriage, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are countries with dramatic wealth inequality. North America, um, you know, North American countries are not exempt from that. Mm-hmm. And so it's challenging to, to look at the grand scope of what we're trying to accomplish across the globe yeah. and think how can I as an individual do anything to mm-hmm. support this work you know mm-hmm. and so it almost seems daunting and mm-hmm. you get you know discouraged and feel like what's the point but I think if we look into our own communities we can see that um, supporting the work of community organizations is um, you know can be revolutionary absolutely because if we can work to achieve gender parity across municipal politics, then that means that all of our, you know, planning um, uh, that will come down the line in the future will be informed Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. all individuals and that Mm -hmm. will have representation of opinions and that Mm -hmm. it won't just be 50% Mm -hmm. of the population making decisions for 100% of the population. Totally, totally agree with you. And I think... Absolutely. I could not agree more with what you've said. I feel, you know, I think it has to start kind of with the individual in order to grow Mm -hmm. from that. So thank you so much. I really hope that um, everyone here listens and and takes all that into account. Thank you so much. Thank you. YW is celebrating their 90th anniversary with an open house at the St. Catharines Museum on Saturday, April 28th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. All members of the public are invited to join the celebrations and learn more about the legacy the YW has made for our community. There will be a special exhibit on display and other special activities planned. Stay tuned for more details. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. Thank you so much to our special guest, Jennifer Bonato, president of the YWCA Niagara Region, for joining us in honor of International Women's Day. This is the year to press for progress, so step up, reach out, and take action. This episode was produced, recorded, and edited by Sarah Nixon and Lauren Curtis. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and the City of St. Catharines.